It's Mike here doing a little news and politics discussion. And of course, we're going to talk to our friend Wendy Patrick later to discuss what happened yesterday in the Supreme Court with the hearing about the Mississippi law that bans abortion after 15 weeks. It's uh, a lot different than the Texas law and uh, considerably different than the Roe v. Wade, currently the law of the land. And the left is freaking out because there's a 6-3 majority on the court on the conservative side, even though conservatives don't always vote the way you think they might vote. So we're going to see what happens. The uh, arguments were yesterday. There's a lot more that has to happen. And then uh, eventually, like June and July, we will hear the decision. So there's a lot of sweating going on. And we will see what the heck happens. Uh, I want to get into some of the things that were heard in the court yesterday. But I also want to begin with uh, something from the late Justice Samuel Alito, who talked about abortion based on the Constitution, which is something that I think people forget when they start talking about rights in this country. Certain rights are guaranteed. And you need to really read the Constitution and understand it, even just read a synopsis. But one of the things that's not guaranteed in the Constitution, not specifically laid out and guaranteed in the Constitution, is abortion. Here's Justice, the late Justice Samuel Alito. Regardless of whether you think prohibiting abortion is good or whether you think prohibiting abortion is bad, the Constitution does not say anything about it. It leaves it up to democratic choice. Some states prohibited it, some states didn't. What Roe versus Wade said was that uh, no state can prohibit it. That is simply not in the Constitution. It was one of those many things, most things in the world, left to democratic choice. Yeah, and uh, I like the idea of giving the states the right to once again make that decision. It's a, a local decision made by people who were voted into office locally and can make that decision. If the people don't like it, they can vote them out. Yesterday in the court, we heard some really interesting arguments back and forth. Uh, One of them from Chief Justice John Roberts, who has not necessarily been a reliable conservative vote for those of us who call ourselves conservatives. But what he said yesterday has many on the far, far left absolutely freaking out because Justice Roberts talked about what the Mississippi bill is in terms of sort of a compromise between Texas and Roe v. Wade. Six weeks versus 24 weeks in Roe v. Wade. Here's what Roberts had to say. I'd like to focus on the 15-week ban because that's not a dramatic departure from uh, viability. It is the standard that the vast majority of other countries have. Not a prohibition. It's a 15-week uh, line. Yeah, it's not a prohibition in the Mississippi law. It is balancing the state law with much of what the other or the rest of the world does, much of what civilized parts of the world do. And then there is a chief, not chief, I wish he was chief justice, Clarence Thomas, who uh, rarely speaks, but he chose to speak yesterday and spoke early and uh, had a very interesting question for the attorney defending or or trying to argue that the Mississippi law needed to be overturned. 
in the old days we used to say it was a right to privacy that the court found in the uh, due process, substantive due process. What are we relying on now? When it comes to decisions related to family, marriage, and childbearing, the court has done the analysis at a higher level of generality, and that makes sense because otherwise the Constitution would reinforce the historical discrimination against women. So protecting the life of the unborn in the eyes of this attorney is historical discrimination against women. That's what one of the attorneys who wants the Mississippi law overturned is saying. Historical discrimination against women to protect the life of the unborn. I started thinking about that because I I go back to when Barack Obama was president and he was out on the campaign trail or no, it's just, yeah, he was out on the campaign trail, I think, before the second term. And he was uh, considering um, there was a, a case, another case in front of the court about abortion And Barack Obama said something that made me bristle just a little bit talking about this subject. Listen. I've got two daughters, nine years old and six years old. I'm going to teach them, first of all, about values and morals. But if they make a mistake, I don't want them punished with a baby. Actually, that was from 2008. Before he was elected, Barack Obama referred to a child of his, if they had gotten pregnant, to being punished with a baby. Punished with a baby. This is the mindset of the left. And that's why they're so freaked out about what happened yesterday in court. The, the uh, Mississippi attorney who was fighting for the state's law was absolutely cut off at the knees by Justice Sotomayor a liberal justice on the Supreme Court who made an insane argument in front of the entire world. Check this out. I think it's an advancement in in knowledge and concern about such things as uh, fetal pain, what we know the child is doing and looks like and is fully human from a very early... In about 40% of dead people who, if you touch their feet, the foot will recoil. There are spontaneous acts by dead brain people. So I don't think that a response to, uh, by a fetus necessarily proves that there's a sensation of pain or that there's consciousness. This lady is nuts, in my opinion, to try and claim that what we see on ultrasounds when when little babies are touched and they respond and they react, we've seen them suck their thumbs, we've seen them react to sound, we've seen them kick and jump and move. To compare that to a dead body and the reaction in what she says in 40% of, of dead bodies is just absolutely flat out insanity. And yet here we are. And then there's Sheila Jackson Lee, an elected member of Congress who I don't understand keeps getting how she keeps getting reelected who was worried about what happened in the court yesterday and ran to MSNBC to speak on abortion. And, of course, she tied in slavery because we all know that what's happening with laws protecting the unborn is slavery. Go back to Obama. Don't want to punish with a baby. But here's uh, She-Jack, as she is known. It's a health crisis that's going on in Texas. It's a, a travesty. Um, it is a state full of sadness. 
So protecting the unborn is a health crisis, sadness, and a tragedy. Continue, madam. And it has women fleeing. The actual crisis takes me back, Kristen, to the bounty hunters of slaves who were attempting to free themselves out of the bondage of slavery. We're literally living in the 1800s. Yeah, no, we're not. You might mentally be living in the 1800s, but uh, we are not, madam. We are taking the science that is has grown and existed since Roe v. Wade was put into law, and we are saying, hey, remember what we thought 48 years ago? Well, there's a whole lot of different science showing us that the child inside the mother is a lot more advanced and a lot more human than you could ever know. And that child needs to be protected and given the same protections, the, uh, the rights that are in the Constitution for all persons. And I support that. I absolutely do. We won't know anything until end of June, early July. We'll find out. And we'll get details on really what happens now because... Wendy Patrick, our attorney pal, needs to explain it to us. She'll be around in just a little bit. It's Michael Pelka. It's Mike here with our good friend, attorney, author, prosecutor, uh, great violinist. It's the violin you play, right, Wendy? That's correct. All right, Wendy Patrick is with us. Yes, she's a brilliant violinist. I keep wanting to say <laughs> cello, but uh, and it's not a viola. There's a difference between the viola and the violin, although I would not know if you put two of them in front of me. No, that's true. Most people, uh, I got a lot of people here for some reason that think I play the harp. I'm not sure how you make, how you confuse those two instruments. It would be much easier and kinder to say I played the cello or the viola, though. So thank you. Yeah, I, the harp thing, who would think, <laughs> you know, you just can't, you can't travel with a harp that easily. It's not practical. That's right. It's just not practical for somebody <laughs> my size to lug that thing around. No, that's, in a nutshell, that's why I wouldn't play it. <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny. Very funny. Wendy Patrick's with us. She's a brilliant attorney, a great writer. You've seen her stuff online and also in Psychology Today, where she gives just great stuff every month and sometimes a couple times a month. I asked Wendy to join us because yesterday was the uh, Supreme Court hearing the case uh, arguing the Mississippi law limiting access to abortion at 15 weeks. And, Wendy, I, I want to make sure I understand this correctly because I didn't get the sense this was about overturning Roe v. Wade as much as it was about throwing the decision to limit abortion or access to abortion back to the states individually is that correct or am i totally off on this one no you know that in a sense that is what some of the argument was about you know what gets confusing in a case like this is you do have justices that are considering and talking about the facts uh when does viability begin you know some of the very difficult provocative questions but then you can really simplify it and talk about whether or not this shouldn't be a decision left to the states, which simplifies it in the sense that we're not arguing about when life begins. We're arguing about who should make the decision as to who can get an abortion. So it's not really about um, all the medical issues and the psychological impact and the spiritual and the religious aspect. If it's just about states versus federal, it makes it a lot simpler. And I think that is part of what was really the gist here. And that also makes it a little easier 
for the justices to decide, because if it's something that should be decided state by state, that makes it easier than trying to have some sort of a legal argument as to when life begins. It really makes it more about who should be deciding within their state when a woman can get an abortion, not if, but when. Yeah, it's fascinating to me. And yesterday, this was all carried on the cable networks, but it was carried like a radio broadcast. And I listened yesterday for about the first hour and a half until my eyes glazed over a little bit. There's a whole lot of legal terminology. And you have to help me understand a little bit. There was a term that's mentioned over and over and over yesterday. And I know you explained it to me about three years ago. Starry decisis. What the heck does starry decisis mean? Well, they're just talking about precedent. They're talking about the value given to prior decisions. So when you have a settled law, um, controlling precedent that, that governs what you do in subsequent cases, unless there's a good reason to overrule something. Um, and that's an interesting point you bring up, because remember that um, Brett Kavanaugh actually talked about some of the court's greatest rulings had overturned past precedents. And so it, that strikes fear into um, pro-choice advocates, because if that's true, then a statement like that could maybe forecast a desire to overrule something like Roe and say all abortions are outlawed at every time. But that's not where the court is. The, the fear is that uh, the fear of the people that don't want any restrictions on abortion is that they're chipping away at the right to an abortion by pushing down, pushing back the date of viability. Now, remember that this Mississippi case is squarely in the middle of Texas, the heartbeat bill, six weeks, and Roe, which talks about viability being about 25 weeks. So, and sort of having a middle ground here, if in fact this is decided based on it should be the states that decide, well, then that would make the Texas case easier to decide because Texas agreed that it was going to be six weeks. And that could be a blueprint for red states, as I say, the conservative states that would like to see more restrictions on the right to an abortion, not less. Okay. Um, A couple of things, and that makes a whole bunch of sense. Thank you for clarifying Mm -hmm. that. Um, Yesterday... One of the first voices I heard, if not the first justice to speak up and start asking questions, was Clarence Thomas. Now, Justice Thomas almost never speaks in the Supreme Court. I think it was like 10 years before he asked his first question, but he jumped into this early. Does that indicate anything in for anyone who's watching this case, if Clarence Thomas is that engaged? I'm going to say yes, because I was one of the voices that were just baffled at his silence. I mean, his silence was deafening for a decade. And now he's asking questions, he's engaged, and he's a very prolific writer. So the fact that he found this interesting and important enough to speak up and ask questions uh, shows that he'll probably be a very formidable force in, in on the, for the conservatives. And that's important because, you remember, we're talking about a 6-3 conservative majority on the high court. If there were ever a time to make some significant inroads uh, into really reexamining the abortion debate, it's now. And so the fact that he's found his voice, <laughs> finally, so to speak, um, I think you're right. I think a lot of people are talking about that and that this must be a very important issue for him. Yeah, I was I was surprised by that. Um, and I know that the the three justices who lean more liberal are probably uh, very concerned about this because uh, their votes will 
Uh, I'm not going to predict how everyone's votes are going to go. I'm going to ask you another question. Oh, come on. No, 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 okay. no. It's a, that's a slam dunk. We're not going to even bother with that. Um, there was another word that came up. I think it was Justice Roberts who said uh, something in your your question is appears to be supported by your amici. And I remember my Latin from high school. That means friends. Does that mean there are opinions from other parties that are attached to either side's presentation? Is that what that is? Well, that, it probably broadly refers to the opportunity that many interested parties avail themselves of to file amicus briefs, friend of the court. So they are weighing in, even though they don't have standing to themselves, be parties to the action. Um, and I'll tell you, a comment like that shows me that these justices read the briefing, which is a good thing, given how important this case is. Um, and I, I thought that the questioning was very spirited. You know, it's not always because you don't often have issues that are this important and this divisive. One thing that um, Justice Kavanaugh said, he basically pointed out the fact the Constitution, which underlies a lot of the argument here, is neither pro-life nor pro-choice on abortion. So to to say that something is a right, it doesn't go as far as I think some are arguing, that there's somehow some pro-choice element to the Constitution. There isn't. In the same way, he made it clear that it's not up to the Supreme Court to decide when life begins, um, where viability stands. I mean, it's they're out of their lane if they're being asked to opine on those types of matters. And I think that really characterizes the frustration they no doubt feel that that appears to be where this is heading. This has kind of gotten a little out of control in the kinds of arguments that are being made, forgetting that the Supreme Court is bound by precedent and, as you mentioned, stare decisis, you probably learned that in your Latin class, too, um, and not able to delve into some of the other issues that are being argued. I'm, I'm so interested in this, and I'm also curious. Okay, today was the day. Um, it's over today, right? All the arguments are done, right? Well, that's apparently now they are the Supreme Court, so they kind of set the rules. But it seems like today was the day for argument. And now they're going to be um, deciding the decision is expected in late June. So but they basically made up their minds and we're not going to hear until June. We have to wait until late June or early July. (laughs) Well, I'd like to think they, you know, anybody would like to think they haven't made up their minds, but listening to some of the questioning, they probably have. But they still need to justify it and write an opinion. And, you know, whatever they write, whatever they do is going to be a blueprint for states to follow and to read and to distinguish and to agree with and used all the different ways in which we use Supreme Court opinions. They're just powerful vehicles for really uh, predicting and forecasting what this law is going to look like in the different states. And if they make a decision based on, you know, state versus federal, then there you have it. Then you're going to probably see states like Texas and maybe other red states realize they have more freedom to fashion abortion laws that are more in line with the people that live there, with the politics there, with the, um, you know, with the ways in which Texas crafted the law that it did. So that's why this case is so important. And that's why there was probably the kind of coverage there were. And like you said, as many friend of the court briefs as there were here. And in the last 10 seconds here, we're not going to know the answer until late June, early July in a town where secrets seem to leak out. This one is going to be held tightly and close to the vest. Wendy Patrick, always appreciate you being there. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me.